Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thank you for joining us today. As school starts up again in the days and the weeks to come, more children will head to the classroom with blurry vision. More young people are nearsighted. Yes, an increasing number of them. The medical term is myopia. It means that you can see objects clearly, but uh, that are up close to you clearly, but faraway objects are blurry. Things like the leaves of a tall tree or a whiteboard across the classroom. This hour, we're talking about why today's kids are growing up with worse vision than their parents. Screen time and less time outdoors may be to blame. We'll talk about prevention, screening, and new treatments. Now, since August is National Eye Exam Month, we will also talk about eye health across our lives, the common problems that threaten our vision as we grow older, and the habits and treatments that can keep our vision sharp. As I talk with two eye doctors this hour, I want to hear from you too. You can call us. Do you have a child who is nearsighted or being treated for nearsightedness? How was it diagnosed and how is it affecting their life? If you're a teacher or somebody else who works closely with children, have you noticed an increase in nearsightedness? And if you're having problems with your own eyesight, what questions do you have for our guests? The phone lines are open. Here are the numbers to call. Call us at 651-227-6000, or you can call us at 800-242-2828. Let's bring in our guests. We have Dr. Mary Gregory with us today, a board-certified optometrist based in Monticello. She specializes in children's vision and learning. Good morning, Dr. Gregory. Good morning. We also have with us Dr. Derek Horky, an ophthalmologist with St. Paul Eye Clinic. He does comprehensive eye care for adults and has additional expertise in treating glaucoma. So glad you could join us as well, Dr. Horky. Good morning. I know you treat adults, and uh, we'll talk about aging eyes uh, a bit with you later, but have you also been hearing about this increase in nearsightedness in children and why it might be happening? Yeah, um, in the pediatric ophthalmology community, they've been talking about this a lot more recently. It's kind of one of the, the hot button topics, and it's mostly about trying to figure out what's the real reason for it, how it's happening, what are some risk factors that we can try to control, and what are the best treatment options for these kids to help their vision going forward. And so uh, what do we think is happening? And what, is it, what does it even look like? I mean, how is it first being diagnosed, do you think? Is it coming? Is it being noticed in school where teachers are noticing it? Or are the kids themselves reporting it? Well, I think there's a, a mix of things. You know, there's a lot of programs these days where kids going into preschool or pre-K, they have eye screenings associated with them to make sure the kids can see and they can fail those and then end up in you know my office or Dr. Gregory's office. And then there's also situations where that nearsightedness doesn't start right away. And maybe while they're in grade school, they seem to be doing okay. And then maybe they're not as engaged in the class and things like that as they're getting older. And then you come to find out they can't see as well. Mm-hmm. The problem is that sometimes kids can see very well initially. Mm-hmm. And then as this myopia starts, then all of a sudden they can't see as well, but they don't the kids sometimes don't tell their parents or their teachers right away. Right. And they, they may not even be aware that it's a problem. And then what do we know about just in, in general, when people have vision issues, how does that affect your life when it's uh, not treated, has not been diagnosed, and, and you're just walking around and not really fully able to see well? What's the impact of that? Well, I think the hard thing with kids is 
they have this incredible ability to do something called accommodate. So they can kind of almost squint through things a lot and get by. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they don't really say as much because they feel like there's ways they can get by to do it. Whereas in adults, when you can't see something, you can't work, you can't drive, you know, it's a lot easier for an adult to say, listen, I'm, I'm struggling to see the road signs while I'm driving to work now, or, you know, I'm in meetings and I can't read my documents or see my, you know, screen as well anymore. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Horky. And we've reconnected with Dr. Gregory. Uh, Again, uh, you've been giving uh, exams to children and you were saying you are seeing this uh, increase in nearsightedness in kids. And and tell me about that and and how uh, these patients are coming to you and what they're reporting. Yeah, so we used to see the the failed screening slips coming through more ages, you know, 11, 12, 13. And really in the last decade, that's been slipping a little lower. So I'm seeing children um, with these failed screenings or just coming in for routine exams and struggling to see distance at 9, 10. Um, Since the pandemic, I'm seeing more and more children, even at that six, seven, eight years old, coming in, oftentimes they're not aware that they're not able to see far away. Mm-hmm. They're not driving. We right. joke about that. You know, they're in their world, their space, they can see everything near, nearsighted, meaning they can see up close. And so when your world is all clear up close and you're not driving or doing long distance activities, sometimes it's hard to detect that things are changing or that there's a problem until they're coming in just for a routine eye exam. So what do we know about what's causing the increase? As I think about the lives of young kids, um, definitely because of distance learning and the pandemic, they were inside their homes more, they were getting more screen time. Uh, Is that thought to have played a role in why we're seeing more vision problems? It definitely has. And that was a suspicion even before the pandemic. Uh, The pandemic kind of gave us a lot more information and evidence of the increase as well. So that's being looked at pretty heavily now. But the theory is that, yeah, children are inside. Um, They're not spending as much time outside. And while our whole culture has changed over time um, to being more nearsighted and near focused on things in our own space um, and less outside looking in the distance, you know, we're wondering how is that impacting? And and we're definitely seeing that happen. Um, The two biggest issues and modifiable things that we can do as parents for our kids is really get them outside. The thought is kind of twofold, thinking maybe is it the fact that they're relaxing their eyes off in the distance, off all the way to the horizon, Uh, with nothing constricting their view. So Mm. looking off in the distance is very relaxing. Your eyes don't really have to work hard to do that. And so that's the place we want to be and where we were designed to be. And so that outdoor time just gives us that opportunity. But the second thing that they're thinking is even more impactful is just the sunlight. Um, Getting kids outside in the sun, the uh, amount of sunlight, the brighter the light the more um, dopamine is actually released in the retina. And that is one theory on why the, the nearsightedness isn't changing as much. Um, that's more impactful. What we find is less than 12 years old. 
once you are becoming nearsighted, being out in the sun isn't necessarily strongly going to change that factor. But before you become nearsighted, it can slow down that progression or even reduce your risk of becoming nearsighted. Wow. The the outside part of this, the outdoor time, um, that makes sense to me. Because if you think about what you're seeing when you're maybe out on a playground, um, you're looking at things at a distance, right? Like you're using your eyes in yeah. a different way. And so you, you actually prescribe outdoor time as a, a, a treatment or prevention for nearsightedness to, to parents and their kids. All the time. Yes. Um, and parents are always asking me, can you talk to the child about screen time? And I'm like, happy to. So yes, all my kids, all my families, I'm trying to educate them. Really, the research shows we need about two hours outside time every day. I understand Mm -hmm. that's harder in the winter months, but do your best to be outside. Your goal should be about two hours a day. And And uh, Dr. Gregory, remind me, when do children even get uh, eye exams? Like, because it's, is it what are the requirements for them and when do they typically get that particular eye exam? I, I mean, they go frequently sure. for other exams, but the eyes are not checked as regularly as, you know, just those well baby checks, for example. Yeah, which is really unfortunate. And um, we do have um, a program called Infant C, and Infant C um, is a program that providers across the United States volunteer to do no charge vision screenings for infants. And so we do a lot of those in my office between six and 12 months old. At that point, we're checking to make sure eyes are healthy, that they're starting off in the right place, um, that development's on track, and also an opportunity to educate parents. Don't forget about vision. We can't see there are milestones in development, and you can check those milestones when kids are walking and talking and check to make sure they're on track. Mm -hmm. Vision is the same way. And we want to be able to do that, um, especially by the age of three. Developments between, you know, the primary vision development between birth and about six, seven, eight. And if we can do a very first full eye exam at three years old, we're going to catch any of those concerns to begin with. All right. So that- Again, the next, mm-hmm. yeah, the next time we love to see kids would be at kindergarten. If we could get all kids in for not just a vision screening, but an actual eye exam, At kindergarten, we can be looking at their risk factors for Mm -hmm. nearsightedness and then be guiding parents on proper visual hygiene to reduce those risks. All right. We're going to remind everybody, we're talking about vision on this Wellness Wednesday, eye health. Uh, Do you know that the vision of children is getting worse? More of them are becoming nearsighted. We're taking your phone calls. Uh, Do you have a child who is nearsighted? How was it diagnosed? How is it affecting them? If you're someone who works with children, like maybe in a a daycare setting or in school as a teacher, have you noticed more of them are having issues with their vision? And if you're having problems with your own eyesight and have questions for our doctors, give us a call. Call us at 651-22. Seven six thousand or at eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Talking about young eyes and old eyes this morning. Uh, let's take a phone call in Bloomington. Amy is on the line. Good morning, Amy. What did you want to ask or share? Hey, good morning. Ah. Um, say, I just wanted to um, perfect opportunity to make folks possibly aware of this uh, this program that is offered by Lions Clubs. I happen to be a member of the Bloomington Lions Club, but this is something that is offered 
I know district-wide, which would encompass all of the Twin Cities, and I believe statewide as well, and it happens that we will be at the state fair, and my Bloomington Club is actually going to be providing this at the farmer's market this coming Saturday. Um, But it's a free vision screening. It's super quick. It takes about 10 seconds, maybe. Um, Kids must be accompanied by uh, an adult guardian, and they have to sign some paperwork, you know, allowing us to do it. And it doesn't necessarily diagnose a problem, but what it does is just say, hey, we sense that there, this, this detection system senses that there could be something going on with this kid's eyes, and we'd suggest that you see an eye care professional. Um, like I said, it's free. It's quick, and it's it's just a great service, and I think people should be aware that it's available. All right, at the Minnesota State Fair. And, Amy, is it one day or all days of the State Fair? Um, uh, it is, I believe, all days. I'm sorry, I'm not 100% certain of that, but the booth will be in the Carol Levin barn. All right, thank you. That's Amy in Bloomington letting us know about uh, uh, vision screenings available uh, at the State Fair. Uh, Dr. Horky, uh, as, as I mentioned, you treat adults. Um, and so what do we need to know about just eye exams and how frequently we need to get them? I wear contacts and glasses. I have since I was in my 20s. But um, the uh, this is a month that we uh, give attention to uh, eye exams. And so what's the frequency that you recommend that people get their eyes checked? So when I see patients, if they have a healthy eye exam and their prescription hasn't really changed or they don't have a prescription or a need for glasses or contacts, I typically recommend they do an eye exam every other year. For Mm -hmm. patients who their prescription seems to be changing or there was a more drastic change in their prescription than years past, I say come back in the next year. And then typically for anyone 50 and older, I say you should get annual exams because things like cataracts, glaucoma, and macular degeneration are more common. And so that leads me to my next question. Uh, What can we expect to happen? Even if you've had great vision in your 20s and 30s, what can we expect to happen uh, to our eyes as we age? And I always hear about the age of 40 being a pivotal point in our lives, uh, particularly for vision. So that's correct. In your 40s at some point is when you or most people start to lose some of that ability to see things up close. It tends to happen more towards your mid to late 40s. Um, For people who are nearsighted, it's not as prevalent for them, or I don't think as noticeable because some of them can just, say, lift their glasses up and read things up close, and they don't even think about it. Um, And a lot of nearsighted people just do that in general. But, yeah, in in your mid to late 40s is when something called presbyopia happens, which means the lens in our eye starts to uh, stiffen up. And then it can't accommodate, which means change shape to help us see things up close. So you lose some of that that power of accommodation as you get older. And that first bit of it starts around your mid-40s. Mm, and that's one of the common problems that we see as we get older. Um, uh, we hear a lot about cataracts and cataract surgeries. Um, how would you know if you, if you were developing a cataract? So some of the most common signs and symptoms I hear in clinic from patients who are developing cataracts is they just notice a general lack of clarity to their vision. Not at, In the early stage, it's not that you can't see, it's just that maybe things aren't quite as clear as they once were. You know, sometimes people tell me, you know, I like to look at my window, look at the birds outside my house. I just don't see them quite as clearly as I did. Uh, nighttime driving is a huge thing. There's a lot of people when they develop cataracts, they start to feel less and less comfortable driving at night, or they get a lot more glare from the headlights these days. And then the other thing too, is some of the fine details starts to escape you. You know, if someone, say, has a hobby like needlepoint or something or like woodworking where they're doing intricate designs, maybe it's harder for them to see the patterns that they once did. And then how are cataracts treated? 
So in the beginning, cataracts uh, can be treated most oftenly with just updating glasses prescriptions and, you know, adding a bifocal to glasses at a certain age. But at a certain point, the cataracts get cloudy enough that you can't see well enough and you have to have surgery. So at a certain point, I can't change someone's glasses prescription anymore to help them see. So then I have to talk to them about doing cataract surgery with me. And what does that involve in terms of the procedure and uh, recovery time? So cataract surgery is the most common procedure performed in the U.S. About 4 million cataract surgeries are done per year. And for most individuals, it's somewhere between a 10 and 20 minute procedure. And what you do is you actually remove the natural lens and replace it with a plastic one. And so the recovery actually happens relatively quickly for most people. Um, you know, some people can come into the office the next day and already see 2020. Some others take a little bit longer. And some of that depends on are there other conditions going on in the eye or how long you waited and how much energy was required to get the cataract out. All right. As we talk about vision on this Wednesday, we're going to take uh, more of your phone calls, uh, particularly we're talking about what we're seeing with children, more children um, becoming uh, diagnosed with being nearsighted, and also what we're seeing with uh, our eyes as we age. So if you have a question, give us a call uh, about a young person in your life or what you're experiencing yourself. What questions do you have for our doctors? 651-227-6000 is the number to call or 800-242-2828. Uh, Uh, Let's go to South Minneapolis and take a phone call from a listener. This is Sharon on the line. Good morning, Sharon. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, As a grandma, I wish that there was less screen time for all kids for a lot of reasons. But um, um, I know they use screens in schools and, you know, a lot of kids are on on, uh, the screens a lot. Um, uh, I'm wondering if there is maximum protection on screens for kids for uh, their eye health. Um, I know that adults have that option in offices. They have different gizmos for screens. I don't know what they are or what it's involved, but I wonder if there's maximum protection for mm-hmm. uh, the computers and, um, you know, the kids using schools and things like that. All right. Uh, Sharon, a concerned grandma in South Minneapolis there, Dr. Gregory, uh, you treat children. What can you say to that about what we can do and, and what's available that would um, ha- have, you know, that, that would protect our eyes, particularly when kids are spending a lot of time on screens? Sure. Yeah. The big buzz with the screens and light and protection in the last, you know, really decade, but five to 10 years has been uh, regarding more blue light. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the blue light that's emitted from the screens um, has been the buzz. And we haven't, you know, for those of us who grew up without screens and this technology, um, our lighting we grew up with had more of the red side of the spectrum and these screens and high efficiency lighting in our in our offices and schools now are more on the blue side. And those blue wavelengths are just a little higher energy. They're a little faster, shorter wavelengths. And so they're less comfortable for us. We know that blue light um, also changes our melatonin production. So when the sun goes down and we the blue light goes down, we, um, our melatonin production increases. And so we have um, more ability to go to sleep. And when the sun comes up and we get more blue light, then that tells us it's time to wake up. So screen time, the concern was, well, if we have so much more blue light, we're staring directly at, 
is that changing our brain chemistry? Are we going to have some issues with um, behaviors or uh, sleep time? What the research has really found is that the blue light on the screens is really pretty low. Um, and the filters that come pretty naturally on all devices now do quite a bit of protection. More concerning is just the fatigue. So adults mm -hmm. and kids alike, the lighting on the screens just leads to more fatigue. We know that when we're staring at a screen, we only blink about a third as, as often. And so really important to be stretching the screen away, push it as far back as you can and still see it. An arm's reach is great. Um, also fix the lighting or change the lighting, maybe reduce it, should match the lighting of the room. So if you're in a really bright space, maybe a brighter screen, but if you're at home and it's a little dimmer, maybe dim that down and switch to that blue light blocking, which will give you a more amber brown tone to the screen. You can also use a blue light blocker pair of glasses. Many glasses, most glasses now do come with some percentage of a blue light blocker. And really for comfort and fatigue, visual fatigue feels really good. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that we always recommend is what's called the 20-20-20 rule, which is every 20 minutes take 20 seconds to look 20 feet away. For kids, I would even say for my younger kiddos, maybe even every 10 to 15 minutes, stop, take a break, look above the monitor. Uh, during the pandemic, I would really recommend parents not putting the computer screen against a wall, um, put them in an open room so they can use their eyes, look up, look across the room or out the window frequently to get away from that screen time. And again, going back to that relaxing vision. And Dr. Horky, anything you would say for us as adults uh, protecting our eyes? And I think my lenses that I have have some type of, of blue light protection. Well, I think Dr. Gurry kind of hit it on the head. Uh, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time on their phones these days. And, mm -hmm. and the blue light and the melatonin levels is, are really the thing that's been really shown to be research proven. Mm -hmm. So I try to tell people, try to avoid your screens for you know, an hour or two before you go to bed, or if you are someone who like has to do this type of work where you're doing lots of meetings or do a lot of things on your computer, phone, tablet, stuff like that, then maybe you consider blue light blocking glasses for nighttime use. But using them during the day is probably not as big of a deal. Let's take another phone call from our listeners. We talk about uh, vision and uh, issues that we're seeing more frequently now with children and their vision and also uh, what happens to our eyes as we age. 651-227-6000 is the number to call. In New Hope, Jesse's on the phone. Hi, Jesse. What did you want to ask or share? Hi, good morning. Yeah, I have a teenager who has been through the distance learning stuff with the pandemic um, so that increased, you know, the screen time used mm -hmm. at school and then the typical teenage behavior of holding themselves in the room and being on their screens mm -hmm. there. And my daughter, ironically, just yesterday complained that she has a harder time seeming to see her music notes. And so my question is how far, I guess, or how far is the, the least distance to be diagnosed with myopia and when us parents should be bringing them in for that eye exam outside of that wellness check that they, you know, get annually. And Jesse, I'm not a musician. How far is the sheet music away from your 13-year-old? Uh, 
Oh, gosh, probably a good arm's length or okay. arm's length and a, maybe. I'm mm-hmm. not 100% sure because I'm not in the lesson. But mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Gregory, uh, what's like? how do you diagnose nearsightedness? What is the, the distance? Yeah, I mean, we're really, if you're, if you're looking at least six feet away and past that, uh, you should be, you should be able to see clear the whole way. So anything within at least six feet in front of you that you feel is starting to become blurry, we definitely want to be looking at that. There's there's that's not normal. So struggling to see music um, sheets, which we get a lot of people in from music teachers, you know, mm-hmm. saying that they're struggling. <laughs> so that's funny you say that. But yeah, the that distance definitely a flag. All right, let's take another phone call. A listener with a question. This one in Shakopee. Carol's on the phone. Hi, Carol. What's your question and what do you want to tell us? Hi, um, thank you for taking my call. I uh, wanted to uh, give a little shout out to uh, school nurses who uh, give a significant amount of their time each year to screen kids um, for vision problems. Um, It's a, um, a system that's in place to catch um, vision problems um, soon and to refer them to um, their eye doctor if they don't pass the basic screening. Carol, we, are you a school nurse? Are you? I Yes, I am. Oh, okay. All right. And what are you seeing uh, when it comes to, um, you know, screening children for vision or what are you hearing or seeing in your schools? Um, we... Um, we basically just deal with who's in front of them. We haven't really kept track of if we're referring more kids, mm-hmm. um, but um, it it is a system. Kids are screened for vision in first, third, fifth, and seventh grades. Um, so uh, there's a chance to catch vision problems uh, earlier on. And I haven't noticed the increase yet, uh, but we should probably keep an eye on those numbers to see if we are seeing those things. And Carol, describe to us again, what happens when a student is having vision problems and how it affects them in the classroom or maybe even in their social lives at school? Um, uh, Sometimes we're referred children by their teachers who notice behaviors in the classroom, uh, the squinting or uh, needing to sit close to the board to see things. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's by behaviors, but the screening system uh, that is set up by uh, the Department of Health uh, helps catch kids um, who aren't seeing well um, at an early time, maybe before those behaviors are even observed by others. All right, that's Carol there in Shakopee. You know, as we uh, worked on the show, uh, some of our producers uh, reached out to several different vision ex- experts. And on the line right now, I want to bring in uh, another doctor. We have uh, Dr. Meredith Stallone, an optometrist at M Health Fairview Lions Children's Eye Clinic in the Twin Cities. Dr. Stallone sees children and actually started the clinic's myopia uh, management program for kids. Uh, good morning to you, Dr. Stallone. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking about the vision of children, uh, uh, you know, changing, worsening. Uh, Describe what you're seeing with young patients in your clinic. Yes. So I am absolutely seeing not only a greater number of children coming in with myopia or other vision problems to my clinic, but what's most concerning to me is that these children are coming in with myopia at younger ages. 
Um, so rather than starting to develop nearsightedness at the ages of 8 to 12 years old, they're coming in more towards, you know, 6 to 8 or even younger. Um, and the reason why that's concerning is because as children grow and their eyes grow, myopia tends to progress or get worse over time. And as you can imagine, the more growing years they have after they're diagnosed with myopia, the more potential they have for that myopia to get worse over time. Um, But what's important is to keep in mind is that there are ways um, that we can help prevent and address this problem. And that's what we do here at our myopia control clinic at BU. So uh, first of all, what do the children describe? What are they saying to you when, when they sit in front of you? Yeah, so... You know, as as I think it was mentioned before, a lot of the times they don't say anything, right? Because children often don't know what they should be seeing or should mm-hmm. be feeling. And so many of them don't report um, something's wrong at all. But, but most typically, if they are having symptoms, you know, they're having difficulty seeing things far away, like the TV or their teacher, or the board at school or birds and signs when they're looking out the window of the car. Mm. So what's the most promising treatment that you're using with kids right now? Who are near so there are several, sure, yeah, there are several different um, treatments that we have at our disposal, and, and they're each equally efficacious, but the main difference is what is going to be the best fit for the, the lifestyle or the profile of each child. So there are special eye drop medication that we can use to slow down myopia progression, and then there are also contact lenses that are specially designed to help slow myopia progression as well. So eye drops can slow it down as well as a certain type of contact can slow it down because their eyes are still, I mean, like the rest of their body is still growing and changing. Exactly. So they work a little bit differently. So the theory is that, um, how I explain it to parents, is that the eye drop medication actually slows down the, the growth of the eye by working on the structural components of the eye and preventing them from growing or stretching as quickly. Mm-hmm. And then those contact lenses manipulate the light reflex that's entering the eye to slow growth signals that come to the eye from, from vision. And Dr. Stallone, what do you want parents to know as we head into the school year? I want parents to know that one of the best things that they can do for their child is to take them for a comprehensive eye exam, particularly now with back to school. Um, Since eye and vision problems, um, you know, are becoming more common, early diagnosis and treatment by an eye doctor are essential. Um, And other things that have been mentioned, again, with screen time, you know, practicing healthier screen time habits um, and spending time outdoors are also going to be Mm-hmm. essential and very beneficial. Mm-hmm. As we've heard uh, Dr. Gregory mentioned. Well, thank you for your time, uh, Dr. Stallone there, Meredith Stallone, an optometrist who specializes in uh, children who are nearsighted at M Health Fairview's Alliance Children's Eye Clinic in the Twin Cities. Again, thank you for your time. Uh, let's take another phone call from a listener as we talk about vision, uh, vision of children and vision uh, for us older folks as well. Uh, let's take a phone call in Minneapolis. This is Lizzie on the phone. Hi, Lizzie. Thank you for waiting. What did you want to ask or tell us? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, So I have a question that's really related, actually, to the topic you were all just discussing. So my daughter is quite young. She's only about 15 months old. And about a few months ago at her daycare, they brought in um, the screening program that a previous caller had talked about through the Lions Club. And that screening came back for her as flagging her already for myopia. She's Um, 15 months? 
uh, Lizzie, 15? Yeah, she's, she's a toddler. 15 months, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> a toddler, exactly. So we're kind of like, oh, my goodness, how could this already be happening? She wasn't, you know, she was just for background. She wasn't born premature, has hit all of her milestones. I have high myopia that I was um, that was flagged when I was pretty young. And the running joke in my family is that when I first put on my glasses, when I finally got it corrected, I said, I can see. <laughs> so my parents think I probably... Mm-hmm. maybe needed it earlier, you know, but they didn't have this type of screening back then. Um, so now, you know, my daughter was flagged for it. So we did go to a pediatric optometrist. They were also unsure, you know, what the test would come back. But shockingly, it did come back that she already has myopia. And significant enough that they do want to treat it. Um, they are recommending a pair of glasses as well as the eye drops um, that the doctor was just referring to, the atropine eye drops. And uh, we are going for a second opinion, so we haven't made a decision yet just because we want to, we're just sort of taken aback Mm -hmm. by all this. And she's so young that we want to make sure we're, uh, you know, helping the growth of her eye, the development of her eye, in addition to correcting this. Mm. Um, So my question is, you know, the atropine, I know the doctors have talked about, they're seeing this younger and younger. Um, Maybe they've been mentioning maybe four or five or six, but for someone so young, a 15-month-old, I, my understanding is a lot of the studies haven't been done on, on infants or toddlers that young. So is there any risk to starting atropine that young? The eye drops. Or even okay. correcting myopia that young wow. um, for the right. longer development of their eye. Okay, Lizzie, stay on the line. Uh, Dr. Gregory, I know you have some understanding of, of what could be done, um, particularly with uh, eye drops. But what do you make of this 15 months old? And uh, already uh, a screening has, has indicated that this child may be nearsighted. Right. Yeah, definitely some genetics playing a part there. Mm. We know with one parent being nearsighted, um, you're about three times more likely for your child. With two myopic parents, maybe six times more and more Mm. likely to be a higher prescription, like the caller said she was. Um, Always great to get second opinions. It's always concerning and astonishing to find new information about your child. So I think that's great. The, the atropine drops that they're talking about, yes, have not been studied that young. The theory in that, though, is the same thing they're thinking like the sunlight. Um, a very low concentration of atropine seems to stimulate some dopamine production, just like you were in the sun. And that will stop the eye from being quite as stretchy and growing as long. The atropine at a higher dose we use for other reasons. This is at a very low dose, typically at a 0.05 or even lower percentage. So risk factors are going to be pretty low. Um, With eye drops in the eye, there are ways to minimize the drop from getting into the body as well. So the majority of the drop in medication is going to stay right on the eye itself. Typically, um, I do have patients that young in atrop- on atropine drops. Um, if there's going to be an issue, a little bit of redness, a little bit of itchiness, the first maybe week and outside of that, um, really not finding, even if you go back into um, retrospective, retrospective studies, um, not finding side effects. So I think Mm. overall, we're finding that it is safe. 
All right. Lizzie, we wish you well as you go in for that second opinion. Thank you, Dr. Gregory. Uh, Dr. Horky, when I introduced you, I-, I said that you specialize, you have an expertise with glaucoma. Let's talk about glaucoma. Um, and I, I recognize this from the, the eye exam I get uh, every year and the little puffs of air. Nobody likes a little puff of air in the eyes. But <laughs> Dr. Horky, what can you tell us about glaucoma? So glaucoma is a set of conditions and what they all have in common is damage to the optic nerve. And it's typically associated with a higher than normal eye pressure. And the vision loss we get from glaucoma tends to be in the periphery of our vision first before it moves to the central vision. That So that's why sometimes people can lose a lot of vision before it's even diagnosed because mm-hmm. oftentimes if you haven't been getting eye exams, you could lose a lot of vision and not really notice it till it's affecting your central vision, which is very late in the condition more often than not. And and what made you want to uh, focus that as you're going through your training or, or working as an eye uh, doctor? Why did you want to focus on glaucoma? So with glaucoma, you are able to kind of uh, set up these lifelong relationships with patients. You know, you, you could see somebody and diagnose them you know, when they're in their 40s or 50s. And, you know, they could be your patient for 40 years. So (laughs) there's a lot of patients who I've been, you know, I've been here with St. Paul Eye Clinic for a little over four years now. And I already feel like some of these people are part of my family just because how Mm -hmm. often they come in to see me. And what are the risk factors for glaucoma? So some of the biggest risk factors are family history and ethnicity, you know, uh, African-Americans, Hispanics especially, they have a higher risk of getting it. And specifically with African-Americans, one thing that I do notice a lot of is they often get diagnosed at a younger age and their glaucoma is worse or progresses more quickly if it's untreated. So what can we do to reduce the chances of developing glaucoma or is there anything you can do? So one of the big things is oftentimes, you know, some of these older individuals will come in with their family members. And if they have glaucoma, I look over at the family members and I say, when's the last time you had your eyes checked? Because like I said, family history plays a big Mm -hmm. role in that. So, you know, as the eye doctor, if I see someone who's with them, you know, if I'm seeing like an 80 year old lady and she has her, you know, 50 year old son with her or something like that, I say, when's the last time you had your eyes checked? Have you been looked at for this? And so there's a lot of people who go a long time without getting eye exams and don't necessarily mm-hmm. understand the importance of it. And there anything to do we can do though to reduce our chances of developing it if my 80-year-old grandmother or aunt has it. I mean, what should I be thinking about doing or not doing? I mean, the biggest ounce of prevention is the complete eye exam and there's not like a pill you can take or a diet plan you can follow that's going to likely stop you from developing glaucoma. If you're at risk for getting it and you're going to get it, you're probably going to get it. What we want to do is be able to control it. Mm. So there's a big difference between me starting treatment on someone who has very little to no vision loss versus someone who comes in with a lot of vision loss. Now, I was, uh, you know, uh, one of my eye exams a few years ago, my doctor said, you know, by doing these eye exams, you know, the technology exists now. We can learn about other things happening in your in your body. Uh, an eye exam can detect other health issues um, just from the health and appearance of somebody's eye. Tell us what you can also see some warning signs of Dr. Horky. So yeah, I have diagnosed people with diabetes or hypertension, even some, you know, bad things like HIV because of what shows up on their eye exam. The eye mm-hmm. shows a lot of things. Now, I guess technically I can't say I diagnosed them with diabetes because I didn't check their blood sugar, but there are findings that you see in an eye exam that are highly indic- 
indicated of, of it being a diabetic person or someone with hypertension or and so there's chronic diseases that we can see just by doing an eye exam. Mm-hmm. It's another reason to go in and get checked. Yes. All right. Let's take more phone calls from our listeners in St. Paul Park. Monica's on the phone. Hi, Monica. What do you want to ask or share with us as we talk about vision issues? Hi. Um, so my question is about how or if there's any programs that can help people that are that can't afford to get um, to you know to get glasses or even exams. Um, or, Eye exams cost money. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So looking for um, um, financial support. If you what if you can't you know you are aware that you have an, an eye problem, but you can't afford to buy the glasses or contacts. Is that what you're asking? Yes. All right, Monica in St. Paul Park. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Horky, uh, what do you know about programs or, or systems in place to help people pay for what they know they need? Well, there are a number of programs out there that can help, and you can find resources through, like, the American Academy of Ophthalmology. I'm sure there's similar things to the American Academy of Optometry as well, too. But the one caller earlier had brought up the Lions Club, and the Lions Club has been helping individuals get glasses for a very, very long time, and they do that free of charge. And so if you're needing help with that, you know, reaching out to your local Lions Club and help and asking them when a screening may be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was going through training at our institution, we had a Lions Club clinic uh, every month on a Saturday, and we would come in and we would do the eye exam, figure out what their prescription was, and then we had someone that helped get them set up with glasses for free. All right. Uh, Dr. Gregory, anything that you would add? Uh, people who want to make sure their children's eyes are, are well, uh, any financial support available for the exam or for the drops or contacts or eyeglasses a child might need? Yeah, um, I would agree with the Lions Club. Uh, fortunately, during the Obama administration, when we had um, changes in the health care, one of the requirements was that all children under 19 have a preventative eye exam covered yearly. And so if you do have insurance, most likely you do have coverage for your child's eye exam once per year. Um, to help out with the glasses, yeah, we definitely rely on our local Lions Club, the Lions Club that's kind of their mission and have been very uh, helpful. Mm. All right. Uh, in our remaining minutes, let's take one more phone call in uh, uh, Minneapolis. Paula is on the line. Paula, go ahead with your question uh, for our doctors. Good morning. Um, I am an, I am in my 60s and I'm wondering but for all ages, about sunglass use. I, mm. I know mm-hmm. um, it, it, it was said to prevent, you know, uh, ill effects from ozone layer, but I think the ozone may have changed. And I also know that, you know, the, the question of good nutrition or sun, sun rays coming into our bodies through our eyes, and I don't want to completely close that off. So I'm just curious what your experts would say about, you know, at what age should people start wearing sunglasses? How often should we be wearing them? Should we not wear them sometimes? Good question. To let in that, those good rays. Yeah, uh, Paula Minneapolis, uh, what do we need to know about protecting our eyes from sunlight, Dr. Horky? Well, I would say that it's always good to wear sunglasses outside. Uh, there are definitely things that can happen to your eyes from long-term UV light exposure. 
for instance, there are people who do more outdoor jobs like landscapers. They can get these benign growths on their eyes that can affect their prescription. Another thing is that excessive UV exposure can cause more rapid development of cataracts. So for instance, my children, when they're outside playing baseball, they have sunglasses. They're not super expensive or anything, but even a lot of the cheap pairs from Target and other places like that, they they still block enough UV light to help protect the kids. And Dr. Gregory, uh, what do you want to say about protecting uh, our children's eyes from sunlight? Yep, agree too. If we can get kids into sunglasses, that's great. Some children aren't able sensory wise to be able to wearing that at least keep a wide brimmed hat to cut down on the amount of exposure, encourage the little ones to be in the shade or, um, you know, covered up. Uh, But if you can start right away as infants, just putting those little sunglasses on them and get them adapted to that, that's going to be better long term. All right, our time is up, but my, my producers want me to let everybody know that on uh, our website, on the uh, show page for my talk show, we are going to add some information about where you can find free vision screenings and also some resources to help uh, pay for uh, eyeglasses or uh, contact lenses if you need them. So look for that at nprnews.org on my talk show page. I want to thank our guests. We've been talking with Dr. Mary Gregory, a optometrist who uh, specializes in children's vision and learning. Thank you, Dr. Gregory, for the work that you're doing as well as Dr. Derek Horky, an ophthalmologist ophthalmologist with St. Paul Eye Clinic, who's also a specialist uh, in treating glaucoma. Thank you, Dr. Horky. Today's conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.